I forgot to bring it back to the beginning again after I did the last one. There we go. Perfect. Good morning, everyone. Oh, I love it when the church is full and passionate and energetic and, and singing louder than the worship team. Come on, that's a good church. Well done, everyone. Uh, for those of you wondering where our lead pastor is, he's in Fort McMurray. Um, some of you know Pastor Glenn Forsberg. That was Pastor Greg's previous lead pastor. They served together for seven years in Fort McMurray. And uh, Pastor Glenn is being celebrated in Fort McMurray at McMurray Gospel Assembly. He's been in ministry for over 50 years. I think like well beyond 50 years. And so they're just having this big party in Fort McMurray. And Pastor Greg and Betty were like, we're going to party. And so it was like, Peter, you're preaching. So awesome. <laughs> Okay, um, for those of you uh, that are new to our church, maybe you're a guest today, we have been in a series uh, based on a book study by a fellow named James Brian Smith. And so there's been three books that we're doing, The Good and Beautiful God, The Good and Beautiful Life, and shortly we're going to be moving into The Good and Beautiful Community. And um, I'm glad I mentioned this in the first service because I saw people buying books. If you do not have copies of the series, we have them available at the church center outside the doors and to the left. You can purchase copies and follow along with our series. Today we're on chapter 10 of the second book, and our topic is learning to live without worry. So many people after that first service were like, man, I needed that message today because I'm, I'm worried about some stuff. Um, now the question that comes to mind when I talk about learning to live without worry is, what keeps you up at night? What keeps you up at night? If you're lying awake late, well past 1 a.m. and you're thinking about things, or if you're the kind of person that wakes up at 3 a.m. And, and your mind is buzzing, what are you thinking about? Now, some people are very politically minded. They might be worried about political unrest or economic insecurity or things like uh, government and inflation and rising costs. Uh, I talked to a student after the previous service, and, and, and she said, I, you know, am I making the right decisions about university? Um, you know, how am I going to pay off the enormous debt once I'm finished university? Uh, some people today, maybe someone in the room is thinking, will I be able to get another job? I don't have a job right now. Will I be able to find a job to pay my bills? Uh, can I afford car payments, insurance? Anybody noticing the fuel prices, you know, going up a little bit? Will, can I afford fuel in my tank? Will I ever be able to buy a house? That's crazy. You know, we just take it for granted that the majority of us have a mortgage. Some people, that's not their reality. They can't do it. Uh, maybe for parents, you worry about your kids. Now, you all know Pastor Peter has little kids, and I'm, I'm up in the night anyways with kids, giving them bottles and rocking them and whatnot, but I've had conversations with more than a few of you that say you're still up in the night even though your kids are teenagers or even adults because you worry about them. You're not giving them a bottle or anything. You're, you're worried about your kids. Um, maybe it's not your kids. Maybe you are years into a job and you're getting older and you're beginning to ask the question, will I ever be able to retire? How much money do I need to have put away in order to successfully retire? Uh, maybe for someone in the room, it's not any of those things. Maybe it's your health. Some of us worry what the doctor is going to say at our next appointment. Has it gotten worse? Will I be able to enjoy my life again? 
Or maybe we worry about the health of a family member or you have a good friend and health is their concern and you're worried about them because you love them. Uh, a big one for me, I was like, how do I personalize this? What, what, what do I, am I worried about? My most common worry is, will I be able to get it all done? That's, that's what I tend to worry about. Who am I gonna let down? What am I going to drop? How can I make sure that I am successful in all the various roles that I have in life? There are many things to worry about. Some of you are like, I wasn't worried at all until you started. Now, now, like, I'm paralyzed. I just can't even listen anymore. I'm so worked up. I'm worried. But what makes worry even more challenging is that we live in a culture that fuels fear and anxiety. That is the world that we live in, and that is especially true of the media. Fear causes people to read papers. And the media companies, they want to make money. They want you to be scrolling on your social media. They want you to be watching videos. Fear motivates. It manipulates. Fear drives the financial gain of media corporations. And many wise people have said, if we would just turn off our devices, our computers, our iPhones, our TVs, suddenly so many of our worries would disappear. Amen? Now, that could be a whole other sermon. We're not going to preach that sermon today, although we could. Um, but here's my challenge for you. I've been wrestling with this thought literally since Monday. I think it was Monday night. I asked Chantel, I'm like, am I on the right track with this thought? Um, I believe that what we worry about the most often reveals where we trust God the least. And I want that just to settle in your spirit this morning, that, you know, what we worry about the most often reveals where we trust God the least. And I asked my wife, I'm like, do you think that's true, or am I going to get in trouble getting on stage sharing that? And there was a long pause, and she said, yeah, I think that's true. Worry ultimately comes from not trusting God where we say to ourselves and we repeat and we're up in the night and we're thinking about it and we say, I won't have enough. I don't know for sure that God's gonna come through for me. Will he protect my kids? Uh, you know, God's not gonna pay my bills for me. He's not gonna heal my body. He's not gonna restore my marriage. He's not gonna give me the courage I need in this situation that I'm afraid of. And because God may or may not come through, I need to control things. And we try to control things. We try to control the people in our lives. We try to control our circumstances. But I'm here to tell you that you don't need, you don't need to control. You don't need to micromanage. You don't need to fret and to stew about things because God loves you more than you could possibly imagine. This is why we begin our services in worship. We just want to be in like this rapture's embrace of God's presence, of his love, knowing that he's not against us. He cares about us. He loves us. And God doesn't want us to live with high blood pressure. God doesn't want us to live with stomach ulcers. God wants us to trust him and to thrive in life as we release our worries to him. Can I get an amen? amen. Yeah, come on. So we're going to pray together, and we're going to do something a little weird. Some of you are like, I don't like hand kind of stuff or whatever. I'm going to make you do some actions. I want you to put, put your hand on your head, on your mind. Yeah, some of you are like, I'm too cool to do this, but you know, I see you, yeah. And some of you, and put your hand on your heart. Hand on your head and hand on your heart. God, we just thank you that your word says, do not worry. Do not worry. And so God, we just pray over our uh, thoughts. 
We pray over our emotions, over our mental faculties and our emotional being, and we say, do not worry. Do not worry. God, we just release our anxieties, our fears, our concerns, our worries, the situations of our lives, God. We release them, and we ask that you would replace in us, in our minds and in our hearts, God, your love, your goodness, your kindness, your confidence, your peace, your freedom, and everything that we need today. And everyone said... Amen. I'm just going to keep you amening all service. It's going to be awesome. Okay, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. Jesus is speaking, and this is what he says. He says, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Two verses later, verse 27. Can any of you, by worrying, add an hour to your life? Jesus says, do not worry. And initially, I thought that was maybe like a kind suggestion, but that's actually an imperative. It's an authoritative command. Jesus is kind, of course. He's loving. He's a, he's a good guy, but he's firm. He's saying, stop it. Stop worrying. And I want to be sensitive to everyone in the room today because I know that one chapter in a book and one sermon is not going to magically eliminate worry. For some of you, it's going to require time. It's going to require counseling. I'm not negating that. We have incredible counselors here at the Father's House. But what I want you to recognize is that we are not at the mercy of our fears. I think a lot of people live that way. They, they live victim to their fears and to their worries. And I want to encourage you. I want to empower you. We're not completely out of control. But we have choices to make. And those choices can lift us up out of it and bring stability. And when we encounter Jesus' command, do not worry, it appears that he's asking us to let go of the one thing that gives us control. And I want to say, yes, that is what Jesus is doing. As much as worry happens when we feel out of control and we're spiraling, worry also happens when we're grasping for control. And I don't know if that flips your understanding of worry. You all, we're, we're guilty of thinking that worry is something that happens to us, but worry is something that we actually hang on to when, things, when we want to be in control. And there are so many things that we cannot control. They're beyond our understanding and our ability to fix them. And so Jesus says, can any of you add even an hour to your life by worrying? I found this great quote. You're going to love this quote. Uh, it says, worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. <laughs> Isn't that good? Yeah. yeah, some of you just rocking away, <laughs> not moving. Listen to the statistics about, wor about worry. Over 40% of what we worry about never happens. Over 30% of what we worry about, it already happened. It happened in the past, and it can't be changed. 10% of what we worry about relates to our health, and let me tell you why that is ironic and sad and terrible. It's because it makes your health worse. So don't worry. Do your best not to. 8% of what we worry about is legitimate, but even then, worrying about it is not going to change anything. Um, how do we define worry? Our book describes worry as a disproportionate level of concern based on an inappropriate measure of fear. And I want this to really hit home with you this morning that worry harms our relationship with God. Worry causes physical discomfort. I talked about ulcers and high blood pressure and stress and all those things. Worry destroys our joy. 
Now, really quickly, I think this is helpful as well. James Bryan Smith does this, and so I want to do it as well. I want to clarify that worry is not the same as being cautious. Some of you might be saying to yourselves, I worry because it gets me into a frenzy and it gets me to a place where suddenly I can, I'm managing things so that bad things don't happen. That, that has more to do with caution. Caution is taking care to avoid trouble or danger. Caution is planning and preparing and acting properly. That's a good way to remember caution. Planning, preparing, acting properly. We should be cautious about many things, uh, how we manage our money, um, driving carefully on icy roads, being diligent and aware of the food and the medications that we put into our bodies. You know, there's all these things that we should be cautious about. But when you repeatedly are stewing about something. It's the rocking chair. <laughs> it's just going. You know, we have crossed into worry. And I wanted to clarify that I love being cautious. Some of you love being risk takers. Anybody like, yeah, I'm the skydiving guy. I'm the bungee jumper. I'm like, risk, yeah. Um, I, I'm not that way at all. As a kid, I was actually really boring. Everybody was like, let's go do this stuff. And I was like, no, we should be careful. Um, <laughs> right? But caution gives me great peace. So a few years ago, um, Chantel and I learned that several of our neighbors were being robbed. And uh, what was happening was there was this group of hoodlums, and they were going about in the middle of the night, and they were trying everybody's car doors. And sure enough, people were leaving their car doors open. And so on social media the next day, because I have my, my neighbors are my friends, and they're complaining, like, stuff is missing from my vehicle, and in some cases, these people would leave a big mess behind. And when I heard that, the logical question, the cautious question, why are you not locking your doors of your car? One morning, I found my neighbor's license and all of his ID cards strewn about on my lawn. And so I carefully pick up all of his ID and I go back to his house and he's like, yeah, they took my money, they took a bunch of stuff from my truck. And so anyhow, it was a simple solution for Chantel and I, we lock our vehicles. But we're a little bit excessively cautious. We actually cleaned out our garage and we parked both of our vehicles in the garage. Now this gets even better. Every night I have the same routine. I go to my back door, I open it up, I check, make sure that the garage is actually closed because my kids open it or they leave their scooters in it and then it pops open and whatnot. Is the garage closed? And then I actually, on my fobs, they're hanging by the door, I lock both vehicles in the garage. The garage is locked. Hallelujah. I am secure. It is awesome. Now, I don't have, a, I don't have like one of those fancy security systems because I'm too cheap for that. Um, but what I do have is I have a lock and chain on my front door. If somebody happened to get through my deadbolt, you know there's a lock and chain on it. And I want you to know that I sleep really good at night. <laughs> I do. I sleep amazing. Like, life is good. I'm not worried. I'm cautious, but I'm not anxious. There are many things that I encourage you to be cautious about. I'm cautious when my kids play outside in the summer. Um, are they with adults that I trust? Robbie and Melissa are here today. You know, like my neighbors, I, I want them around people that I trust. Are they looking both ways when they cross the street? Um, I'm cautious when I see a phone number that I don't recognize. How many of you are cautious when someone asks you to confirm your bank information? Anybody? You know, like, 
I'm cautious with my vehicles. I take them to the mechanic. I check my tire pressure. I don't take long drives with my fuel light on. Some of you need to not do that. Like, it's just not a good idea, right? But so I urge you to be cautious. But coming back to the point of my message, you can be cautious without being anxious. Amen? If I were to ask the question today, what is the opposite of worry? The complete opposite of worry. The first thing that came to my mind when I asked that question in my preparation was peace. Um, Many people would say peace. Now, I understand that there is a peace that God gives. It's a greater peace. It's actually a completely different definition than the peace of this world. But if you were to look up the world's definition of peace, very simply what it means is to be free of disruption. That's what peace is, to be free of disruption. Now, I don't know what other churches you listen to online or whatever, but this is not a church that's going to promise you an easy and pain-free life. We're not. That's, that's not the way we do it here at the Father. So we don't preach that way. Jesus never promised us a life that is free from disruption. And he actually said the exact opposite. John 16, verse 33, Jesus said, in this world you will have, what's the next word? Trouble. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, when I was reading that um, scripture earlier this week, praying about it, the words take heart jumped out of the Bible. What does it mean to take heart? And so if you have some great Bible tools, I got one where you can click on the original Greek and be like, what does this mean? So I clicked on take heart, and what it means is to be emboldened from within. It means to be emboldened from within. It means to radiate warm confidence. It happens when God infuses you with strength and he produces courage in you. And why am I unpacking take heart with you? Because I believe that the opposite of worry is faith. Faith is the opposite of worry. Faith is a word that is actually, it's, it's related to taking heart. Faith doesn't lead to an easy and pain-free life, but faith fills us with spirit-inspired courage no matter what happens. That's the way we preach here at the Father's House. One of the most powerful ways to grow in faith is to identify where God has been faithful. If God is faithful, it produces in me faith. And so I can have faith. I can be free of worry because God is faithful. And so I have three quick points. I'm just going to give them to you right now. My first point is God has been faithful before. There's a process that I'm going to lead you through, but God has been faithful before. Now, often what Chantel and I will do, and I love these moments. Usually it's happening, you know, when the kids are in bed and the, the fireplace is on and we're having tea, and we'll, we'll just begin to look back at times in our past where we didn't think that we would make it, but then God showed up. His presence showed up. His power showed up. And we just find ourselves in this place of celebration. We've been married almost 11 years, together for 13 years. And and it didn't make sense when we were 22 and 23 to get married so young. We were still in university. You know, we didn't have a lot of money. Um, You know, I still had some student debt because I was finishing up a pastoral degree. We were paying rent our first year. We had a car, my car, it's all my fault. I brought $10,000 of car debt into the marriage. You know, um, we had some stuff that we could have potentially really worried about. We were like, like maybe we should wait a few years until we, but we were like, we want to get married. 
And we loved the house of God. We loved the church. We loved serving. Pastor Greg talked about um, generosity and tithing a little bit last week. We, we tithed faithfully. And it's not as though we had a lot of money. You know, I was just starting out in ministry, in full-time ministry. Chantel was working part-time. But we gave God our first. We gave God our best. Um, and not just of our finances, but of our time and our devotion and our hearts. And we never lacked anything. We always had enough. That has been the testimony since day one for us. We have never lacked. And it's not that we're rich. We have never lacked. We've had people, um, this is fast forwarding a few years, we've had people tell us, it is so expensive to live. How do you have five kids? And I'm like, well, let me tell you how we have five kids. Um, but so it's never happened in this church where people have said, why do you have five kids? Like, that's crazy. But it's happened probably a half a dozen times where I'm outside with my kids and I got two of them in the stroller and three of them are playing beside me and they go, why would you do that to yourself? Why would you have five kids? That's a lot of mouths to feed. The costs of living, it's so expensive and whatnot. And one lady that I was chatting to, um, she said, I could never have more than two because I, then they would have to share bedrooms. And I thought, I shared bedrooms with my brothers till I was 16. Um, and some of you, we were having a bit of a laugh in the first service, but some of you come from families where you have like 12 kids, you know, your, your parents, your grandparents. Um, Brian, I don't know if you're watching online, but Brian's mom or grandma had 19 kids. And so I, it's amazing. It's unbelievable. And when it comes to growing a family, raising a family, we have always trusted, even being a single income family, God's going to provide for us. We don't have to worry about that. There's going to be enough money. Now, we have to be wise. We have to be creative. We love hand-me-downs, you know, all those things. But my kids don't lack. My kids are blessed. I think about health and safety. Um, there were times where we were worried. Um, you know, when you're young and you're having your first kids, Isla, we had to stay an extra night in the hospital. She wasn't getting enough oxygen. Um, Everly got stuck in the birth canal and her head was kind of kinked funny and it turned into an emergency C-section. Um, I've been the father that's rushed my daughter to the emergency in the middle of the night because she got in touch with a tree nut and her face blew up and whatnot and we had to run her to the hospital. And so I've caught myself feeling like a victim before. I've caught myself feeling, oh, woe is me. Life is so hard. There's so much to worry about. But it's in those times with my wife where we celebrate and we talk together and we say, God has never failed us, ever. We've been through some tough things, but he's been the strength of my life. He's sustained us, rescued us. He's been faithful. And somehow that absolves the anxiety. That absolves the concern that we feel. How do you eliminate worry? Remember where God has been faithful. Think of a time where you didn't know how things were going to go or how they were going to get paid, but those bills got paid. Think of a time when you didn't think you'd live to see another day. I was thinking about Marley Ann back there. Hey, Marley Ann, you know, her body full of cancer and goes through this process of treatment, and she's alive today. I'm glad you're here, Marley Ann. Amen. Right? Think about a time where you were going through so much stress and so much anxiety you didn't think you could make it through, but God strengthened you. You're an overcomer in that situation. Um, worry can create spiritual amnesia. 
causing you to forget the God who saw you through. But we must remember the stories of his faithfulness and reflect upon the testimony he's established in the past because that is what's going to get us through the present. So I'm going to give you homework at the end of the service. You've got to do this. You've got to go home and celebrate with your spouse or a friend. Now, if you want to do an interesting study, this is me nerding out a little bit on the Bible, um, look up the number of times that God calls you to remember. This is This is an awesome study, especially in the book of Exodus and in Deuteronomy. God is commanding his people to remember. Exodus 13, verse 3, it says, Always remember this day. This is the day when you came up out of Egypt from the house of slavery. God brought you out of here with a powerful hand. Sometimes you're you're reading the Old Testament, you're reading the, the New Testament, and there are just entire chapters that are full of memory. Remember when God delivered you to the nation of Israel. Remember when the Egyptians were coming from behind. Remember when you crossed the sea on dry land. Remember how he led you in the wilderness with a pillar of cloud by day and a fire by night. Remember. Remember how he gave you manna in the desert and water from a rock and and raining quail from heaven. They didn't even have to hunt for it. Come on. Remember how the walls of Jericho came down. Remember. And church, this is why the Israelites throughout scripture piled up stones. This was their way of memory. They would create these memorials to God's faithfulness. So when they walked by years later along that road or the path or when they're children or grandchildren would walk past those, those stones and those piles of rocks, they would remember his provision. They would remember his presence. They would remember a miracle that happened. And so I would ask you today, what are the piles of stones in your life? What are the piles of stones? Talk about it with your spouse this week or a friend. What are the milestones where you say, God saved my life. He helped me. He became real to me that day. Lay those stones for your kids. And I think that, you know, the older generation, we need to be diligent in this, laying those memorials so that our kids, when they are older, they see them and they want those as well. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 9, it says, Watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. If you want to live worry-free, remember that God has been faithful. Second point today, God is faithful today. So we're building a case. God has been faithful before. God is faithful today. I bet you you can guess the third point. Um, I want to talk about God's presence. Let's talk about his presence. The dictionary definition of presence is the state or fact of existing, occurring, or being present. God is present. God is with us. It's actually one of the names that was given to Jesus. God, Emmanuel, God with us. Let me read you the last words of Jesus before his ascension back to the Father. Matthew 28 and verse 20. These are the last words of Jesus. He said, be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Even to the end of all time, we have the power and the presence and the person of Jesus Christ with us. And what I wanted to say about that was, this changes the way that we pray. Do you ever pay attention to the way that you pray? I mean, you guys are all going to get insecure praying around me now, because I I pay attention to the way that people pray. Very often, you know, when I'm worried about something, or there's trouble and challenge and pain, my prayer is, God, get me out! 
Lord, get me out of this. I don't like it. I'm uncomfortable. I'm feeling challenged. It's painful. Get me out. And that is actually the way that most people pray. If God was good, if God actually loved me, he would get me out. Not true. Sometimes he will, but most of the time he's trying to teach us something. He's trying to grow our character. Um, Most of the time, it's not that God pulls us out of the situation. It's that he enters the situation with us. That is what happens. Our solution is not in the absence of problems. Our solution is in the presence of God. Pastor Tyler was announcing a prayer meeting happening tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, here at the Father's house. Um, Do you know that when I come to a prayer meeting, not a lot, practically speaking, changes in that hour and a half. You know, I, I come in and I go out hour and a half later. Not a whole lot changes practically in that hour and a half. Um, but then again, everything changes in that hour and a half. Everything. Because I have a renewed knowledge that God is with me. I go to prayer knowing what's going on at home. what's going on in my bank account, what's going on in these challenging situations, and I I might go in, and none of that may have changed at all, except that I have a renewed knowledge that God is with me. I'm not worried anymore. I'm not afraid. Now, um, the advantage of having a younger pastor is you get all the kid stories, so I have another kid story for you. Um, Some of you love it. I see Kim going like, yeah, I'm picking up what you're putting down. That's it. Um, But do you have a child that is always afraid in the night? Or do you remember, maybe if you're older and your kids are grown, a child that was always afraid in the night? Um, For us, that's Isla. Isla was literally helping me preach my message last night. This is it. Um, Isla comes out of her room six times a night. Mommy, Daddy. And we go, yes, Isla. We're not as patient as the Lord is with us. You know, with Isla. Yes, uh, you know. I'm scared, or sometimes tearfully, I'm scared. And we ask her, what are you scared of? And very often it's bears. (laughs) There's a a bear in my room. And I love, of course, again, we're not that, there's not a bear in your room. I promise you there is not a bear. No, there is. There's a bear in my room. You come up. Right? Um, And it changes. Sometimes it's spiders. Sometimes it's the dark. Last night, literally last night, it was a lava monster. There was a lava monster in her water bottle. Because it was, yeah. Um, Now, sometimes a promise is enough. And sometimes a promise is enough for you and I. We read the word of God. Somebody comes and, you know, prays for us. And we're like, boom. Boom. Yes, I feel good. A promise is enough. I can go back to bed. Um, But then other times, we need a cuddle. (laughs) Uh, And Isla needs a cuddle. You know, she comes downstairs. She she curls up on the couch with us and we hold her. She never wants to cuddle with me. I'm a little jealous about that. But she wants to cuddle with Chantel. And the thought that I had about Isla was, has anything changed about her room? Has anything changed about her situation when mom and dad take a few minutes to cuddle? And the answer is nothing. Nothing has changed. Her room is exactly the same. But the difference is is that mommy is with her or daddy is with her. 
And what I want you to take away from that story is everything changes when you cling to someone who's trustworthy. Everything changes when you cling to someone who is trustworthy. God is trustworthy. He's with you in what you're facing right now. You came in with some anxieties and some concerns and you're distracted in church. God is with you. God loves you. He's holding you. His presence is everything that you need. Psalm 9, verse 10, it says, Those who know your name trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Isla knows my name. My name is Daddy. I'm proud of that name. I'm her father, and and I know God's name. He's a father. He's with us. Third point follows the pattern. First one, God has been faithful in your past. Talk about it with your spouse. Talk about it with a friend. Celebrate. Go for dinner. That's going to inspire strength. Take heart. You're going to feel good when you celebrate that. Uh, Second one, God is faithful today. His presence is with you. Lastly, God will be faithful tomorrow. Now, um, sometimes preachers, you know, get up and all their stories are perfectly resolved. It's like, yeah, you've made it. Everything is good. But with this next point, I want you to know not everything is good. Not everything is easy. Um, But there are unresolved situations that my family is going through right now. And I'm just going to invite you into the wrestle uh, for a moment. This is something that we only, as of a month ago, shared with our immediate family. And now I'm literally on a stage sharing it with the church. So, Um, But when our third daughter, Everly was two, we began noticing she was different from her older sisters. She didn't talk like them. She didn't play like them. Her interactions with kids and adults were different from theirs. And so we were like, what's going on? You know, and and before you have kids, you're like, yeah, every one of my kids is going to be perfectly healthy. They're going to be awesome. They're going to be prodigies. They're going to be superstars like my kids and and whatnot. And so suddenly we're like, why? What's wrong with Everly? And so we took her to the pediatrician. She's physically healthy. Um, She began having these incredible tantrums. And she still has tantrums. And she likes to throw her head back. And it happened a few times where she'd bonk her head, you know, throw her head back. And so we'd hold her as tightly as we can to make sure she doesn't do that. Um, She became very picky with the food she ate. And she's still picky today. We went through a season last year where Everly slept terribly. Now, I'm tired most days, um, but this was, like, this was like a whole new level. I can't even begin to describe the exhaustion that we were feeling. Without any exaggeration at all, Everly was up six to ten times per night. And we would like just fall asleep you know, for 20 minutes, half an hour, and she'd be just losing it in her room. And we were like, what is going on? So we're taking turns, Chantel and I, getting out of bed. Chantel's pregnant with our fifth child. And we're like, we cannot do this with Everly. We're about to have a newborn again. And this went on. And we were cautious. I want to, I talked about caution, planning, preparing, acting properly. We did all those things, but then worry set in. We were worried And how many of you know that you become a different person when you're tired? Yeah. Spouses are like elbowing their, their, you know, right? You're not you when you're tired. But like it it puts stress on our marriage. It It puts stress on our parenting. We began getting shorter with our other kids and whatnot. Um, we were hurting. 
we didn't have answers. And without going into all the details, we uh, got help from our family doctor, prayer and support from the team here at TFH Church. Um, my mother-in-law is in the back. She just wants me to put her on the spot. But my, my family has been amazing. My family has been a tremendous support to us in what we've been going through with Everly. Um, but we began to suspect that she might have a disability. And so we were referred to the Glen Rose Hospital in Edmonton, and we waited over a year. How many of you know that worry sets in in the waiting? Somebody's like, yeah, there might be a problem with your child. You're going to wait a year (laughs) to find out. And you're like, what? (laughs) It's so frustrating. Um, But the good news is, is that God is in the waiting. He's in the waiting with you. Again, he's present. He's strengthening you. He's sustaining you. He's with you. And on March 3rd and 4th, this literally just happened a few weeks ago, we had two days of assessment with Everly. We debriefed with a psychologist, and uh, Everly has autism. We, Everly has autism. Um, it's a, ASD is a developmental disability that causes significant social communication and behavioral challenges. And so many people have asked us, is it severe, is it mild? We don't know. But the point is, we're looking into the future with confidence in God. We're looking into the future. We have no idea. When she's 10 or 11 or 12, we might have a few more answers than that. But for over a year, we've had a choice to take our thoughts captive and to put them in submission to the word of God and to put them into submission to Jesus. Um, Now, I'm going to come back to that in a couple minutes. But church, the things that we go through in life have the potential to suck up all the air in the room, where that is the only thing we feel, that is the only thing we see. Um, sickness can be like that. I've met people that are sick, and it's like they, they can't think about anything else, they can't talk about anything else, they can't do anything else, they're in pain, all they can do is, oh, like, this, this is what I'm going through, now I'm sick. Mental health is like that. And I know that because I've been a person that has struggled with terrible anxiety before. But anxiety, depression, stress, trauma, just takes everything. Divorce is like that. When you've been through a relational hurt and you are so in pain, it it colors your perspective. It it disrupts your peace. It can even begin to alter your purpose. But the point that I want to make with you right now, I just gave you several examples. I have my own context. You and I are not defined by our fears and our hurts. We're not. That doesn't define me. We are defined by faith in God and by his faithfulness to us. And there are people, some of you, I don't even feel like I have the authority to preach this message because you have been through things infinitely harder than Pastor Peter. So much more. And yet somehow it doesn't color your life. Somehow, what is coloring your life is the goodness of God, the grace of God, the faithfulness of God. James Bryan Smith asks his, que- uh, his students two questions. First question, who are you? And the second question is, where are you? Who are you and where are you? And this is the response he's looking for. This is straight from the book. He says, I am a child of God, one in whom Christ dwells, and I am living in the unshakable kingdom of God. Boom, talk about a reality. Talk about an anchor. I am a child of God, one in whom Christ dwells, and I am living in the unshakable kingdom of God. See, that is my basis for identity. Nothing can shake that. And with that foundation, we know that God has a good future for Everly, 
She is precious in his sight. She's a beautiful little girl. He loves her. We don't know if she'll need support in school. I'm sure she will. We don't know. We look around now at other families that have autistic children, and we think, like, is she going to get married? Because we see her... We, when she was born, we started praying for her spouse, you know? And is she going to live independent one day? Is she going to have children? See how worry can get you going? But we're not worried the slightest bit. Every night, I actually crawl into bed with Everly, and I put my hand on her head, and I say, you will have an extraordinary life. You will have a beautiful, extraordinary life. Um, we don't know the future. We know who holds the future. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to invite the band to come, uh, come back, and we're going to close in prayer. Um, but I want you to know, this is the takeaway, nothing can harm those that are in the unshakable kingdom of God. You are untouchable. If you get cancer, if you're hit by a truck, if you lose your job, if you lose a loved one, if you die, you are instantly translated into eternal glory with God. If you lose your job, you can learn to trust him for something better, something more. If you lose a promotion and a pay raise, you can learn to steward with a smaller amount. Uh, if you lose a loved one, you can enjoy their company in eternity and for eternity. That's what the Bible says. And so do you comprehend how stable you are? You are not like the people of the world. Your future is secure. You are in the unshakable kingdom of God. You are to be envied Above all others, you are sons and daughters of God. I want to read Romans 8, 38 and 39 in the Amplified Bible because this needs some amplification right now. Um, it says, I am convinced and continue to be convinced beyond any doubt that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present and threatening nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the unlimited love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen? amen. Come on. This is it. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm just preaching myself happy here. I can keep going. But um, one more quote that I want to give you is this. I want you to remember that devotion drives emotion. I'm going to say that again. Devotion drives emotion. When you are devoted to something, it means you're giving it your full attention. And when you're devoted to the ways of the world and the worries of this life your emotions are going to follow that. That is why we have so many people who are stressed out and they're worried because they can't stop devoting their attention to everything that they see, all the stuff, the areas where they've been hurt, where people have let them down, and they're reaping emotion from their devotion. That's what worry does. No wonder they're frantic and frustrated and afraid. But for those who are devoted to the living God, their emotions are different. They're still going through the same stuff. They're still going through the sea. But stability, security, satisfaction, peace, joy, confidence is theirs. Isaiah 26, it says, You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Church, Turn your cares into prayers. Turn your cares into prayers. And when you turn your cares into prayers and you're feeling emotional, you're getting devotional. That's what happens. I'm feeling emotional. I better get devotional. 
And that's the way of turning your cares into prayers. Philippians 4, it says, don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. And before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will settle on you. (laughs) So let's stand up together. Come on. We're going to sing, but we're going to pray. Before we sing, I want to know who in the room needs a cuddle from their father. (laughs) I want to know who in the room needs an anchor in their storm. And if that's you today, you're like, yeah, going through some stuff, my family, with my kids, with my money, with my health, you just raise your hand and I'm going to pray for you. Yeah, Kim, awesome. Amen. We're going to turn our cares into prayers right now. Amen. Thank you, Lord. God, we just celebrate your great love for this body, for this church, for each and every person here today, God. Lord, we just take all of our emotions and we turn it to devotions, God. We say that we love you. We say that we trust you. We say that we need you. And in this very moment, God, I pray that each person in this church would feel you pulling them up into your lap and wrapping your arms around them and that security and stability and health would be the result of that devotion, God. We bless each and every person, God, not necessarily snapping their fingers and all the problems going away, but the gift of your presence, the gift of your power in the midst of what they're going through. And the whole church said, amen. Now we had somebody get saved in the first service. Somebody raised their hand for the first time. Yeah. And so I want to ask, it's so important that we do this. Is there anybody here today that says, I have never personally invited God to come into my life? We do this at the Father's House every Sunday. And if you're here today and you're like, I want to do that, we're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to call you up, nothing weird. But I just want you to slip up your hand and say, yeah, me, I want to do that. I want to do that. Because that is the most certain way to feel that amen, Jack, awesome. Anybody else want to join Jack this morning? Yeah. Awesome. We're going to pray this prayer together with you, brother, okay? Um, Everybody, let's pray this together. God, I invite you into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to live with you and for you. I want to experience your power and I want to accomplish your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Woo! Awesome. Amen. Okay, I want you to like blow the rafters off. We're going to sing this song right now together. Here we go.
out with great faith. How could you not go out with great faith? When you've worshiped together, when you've received the word of God, take heart in whatever situation you're going through, that you would be emboldened with faith, that you would be ignited, and that you would radiate confidence because of the work that God has done in your life. Um, go home tonight, talk to your spouse, talk to a friend, and just celebrate God's faithfulness. Celebrate the stories that he has taken you through. Um, we were praying this morning before the service, and, and I just felt to pray like the Psalms. You know, he, he prepares a feast for us in the presence of our enemies. You are feasting, you are delighting, you are enjoying God's favor and blessing, even in the midst of a world that is shaky. It's a shaky world, but you are part of an unshakable kingdom. God bless you. Go and have another cup of coffee. Go and have some tea. Talk to someone. Laugh together. Enjoy. And thank you for coming to church today. God bless you. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.